0: Yesterday I played golf at Mallard Creek. I like to play golf. And uh, I was three over par heading into number nine. And on number nine, it's par five, but I shot a nine. Everything came apart. And uh, so I, I finished seven over instead of three over. Still okay for me, I'm not complaining about that. But on that last hole I thought, you know what? I kind of smiled because I said to myself, "I played that hole just like D would play that hole." <laughs> D and I have a standing joke. Sometimes if I tell him, "If you want to be the world's greatest fisherman, take me along," and if I want to be the world's greatest golfer, I take you along. And so it's, we get a kick out of that. But, so, but I hope I can preach like him tonight, and uh, that you get fed from the Word. Uh, I'm gonna. I want us to look at the topic of seeing God in the midst of the mundane, and see if we can learn some lessons, life lessons, from the shepherds in the in the Christmas story. And so, I'd like to read uh, our passage in Luke. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter two, it would be good because I'll refer back there from time to time. But in Luke chapter two, verses eight to twenty, says this, and there were which were just as they had been told. Just as they'd been told. Now, uh, this passage is unabashedly a Christmas passage. I love Christmas. And I retired five years ago, and I haven't been able to preach anything on Christmas for five years. And normally, when Christmas rolls around as a pastor, you're thinking, oh, man, what do I do that I haven't done in the past 20 years? And it gets to... What well, you know, you can't improve on the Christmas story. It just stands alone. It's so good. And you don't have to do anything new. But I thought, if Dee asked me to preach, he didn't tell me what to preach on, I'm going to look at this passage tonight. And uh, I found this cartoon in World Magazine last week. You might want to see it. Uh, I have to admit that I'm one of the Christmas characters encroaching on Thanksgiving. Uh, my Christmas lights have been up for 10 days already. I've been listening to Christmas music for that long, too. I don't know what it is, but I just love to put up Christmas lights and to decorate and, and to feel the joy of the season. Kathy and I were talking on the way over. I, I don't know what it was about growing up, but my brother and I would do that, and we'd have competition. And so we'd get started pretty early so we could call and say, Hey, I got my lights up. How are you doing? Well, my brother's been in heaven for seven years. He's my little brother. And so I don't get that competition anymore, but I still have that desire to put up the Christmas lights. And I think it stems back to our mom. We were, that was a long time ago, but she would get a heavily flocked Christmas tree. And one year she'd put all red lights on it. And you know, that heavy flocking, it would kind of reflect a lot of the red. Next year, it'd be all green lights And then all blue lights. None of these white mall lights like you see today around the houses. They're all color. And then the next year it'd have multicolored lights on that tree. And something in my childlike heart, then just, uh, as long as I'm able, I'm going to put up as many Christmas lights as I can. And so I've been doing that for a lot of years now. Uh, But while this passage we just read is really associated with the Christmas story—it's also full of a lot of application for us today, and I'd like for us to think about that a little bit tonight. Have you ever thought that you live a pretty ordinary life, pretty routine? Uh, does it seem like your life is so routine and so mundane that you wish it could be a little more exciting? Maybe to the point of where they would even write a biography about you because your life was so much. And I do this. I love missionary biographies. I read them a lot. And when you read those, and and you think, I don't even come close to that person. And I begin to think, I live a boring life, a mundane life. And are you ever like that, or am I just weird? Uh, So I, I thought maybe that if you struggle with the mundane like I do somewhat, this passage could be an encouragement to you. You know, when it seems like every day is the same. Very seldom is there anything super exciting. Someone asks me, what's new? I don't have to think very long. But since I love Christmas so much, I want to look at these men tonight who didn't think they were very important at all But they played a major part in the Christmas narrative. Men who were just living out the mundane life of a shepherd. Doing the same thing day in, day out, night in, night out. Watching the sheep, leading them to pasture, taking care of them. Rather monotonous. Men who had no idea that God would show up in their lives like he did. So number one in your notes... In the midst of the mundane, the shepherds were exposed to God's glory. In in verse 8 there he says, And there were shepherds living out in the field, and then what happened? An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, the same Shekinah glory that that led them uh, by the pillar of fire, through the wilderness and the the cloud in the daytime, the same Shekinah glory that filled the temple of the Lord. That that glory appeared to those shepherds with that angel. And it says they were terrified. It's interesting, you know, these guys would, would ward off bears and lions and wolves, not give it a thought. But the angel and the Shekinah glory of God scared the socks off of them. And in verse 13, then, if, if that wasn't enough, there was a greater group of angels that joined them. And their world was rocked. Letter A, God is never limited by our mundane life. He can break out in the most routine times and cause our hearts to soar. I really think there's some instructive things for us here tonight about experiencing the glory of God like the shepherds did. And one of those things is that we should let her be, stay faithful to the tasks at hand. Stay faithful to the tasks at hand. You think, man, life is boring. Just keep doing it. Do what's before you. Not many of us work the most exciting jobs in the world. Most of us dream about our jobs at night. And I remember running a big component saw when we were first married. I would wake up in the night trying to turn that thing off. Not wake up, but I'm punching at the wall, trying to punch the buttons off. It it just got to be so monotonous that I would do it 24 hours a day in my mind. Now, I have to regularly remind myself that these guys were just shepherds doing what shepherds do. And there's encouragement in that, isn't there? Well, I'm just a mom. I'm doing what moms do. I just work in a warehouse. I do what a warehouse worker does. That's okay. Keep doing it. Because I think from time to time in your life, the glory of God will break out. Let her see the glory of God often breaks out in the midst of unda- mundane tasks that require faithfulness. That require faithfulness. I have to... Again, regularly remind myself that even though I'm lonely and discouraged at times, the key to experiencing God's glory in my life is to press forward and to be faithful with the ordinary tasks that God gives me to do. Matter of fact, those ordinary tasks I think God has called you to do. Believe it or not, Before I retired from the ministry, from the pastoral role five years ago, there were times when writing a sermon or preparing another lesson to teach was, uh, I guess, just as monotonous as working in a warehouse or running that component saw. I would get into a routine, and and I would say, God, I, I don't feel like doing this. You ever get there? And he said... It's not whether or not you feel like doing it. It's your responsibility. Oh. And you know, it seemed like those messages that I prepared during those kind of weeks, were the messages I thought were going to be killers, and people were going to flock to the altar, and everything was going to be really neat, just fell on their face. But the ones I struggled over, even labored over, just trying to complete because it seemed so monotonous and mundane to me, We're the ones that God blessed most. Because that's our God. God works in spite of us, but he does reward faithfulness to the task at hand. And so in these days, if you feel like you're doing just mundane stuff, you're bored, you wish you could be doing something else, just stay at the task and let God show up. Because he will. I'm... uh, I'm very encouraged with this story when I see that the glory of God showed up when these men were just, it was at night, so it would have been pretty quiet with the sheep. They would have had them in some kind of makeshift sheepfold out in the pasture, out wherever they were in the desert. If they're outside of Bethlehem someplace, they would have had a stone encasement around them, and there would have been a couple of shepherds sitting down in the gateway or laying across the gateway. And that's how that's all that night would have entailed. I don't know if the rest of them were playing harmonicas or poker. I don't know. But they were they were just doing their thing. And all of a sudden, boom! Here came an angel, and then the sky lit up with the shekinah glory of God, and they were forever changed. Now. They just were God rewards faithfulness in the routine things. Uh, Proverbs 28:20 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings. Uh, Matthew 25, 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Luke 16:10. If you're faithful in little things, You'll be faithful in the large ones. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithful. Not successful, not important, faithful. Faithful. When you don't think you can, you moms and wives in here, you, you don't think you can prepare one more meal? Just do it see what happens. And you husbands better not complain about it. (laughs) It's in the steady, faithful living of life that God breaks out with glimpses of glory from time to time. Not all the time, but just enough glimpses to keep us moving on. James Stewart said, now this isn't Jimmy Stewart of a it's a wonderful life. This is James Stewart, the Bible commentator. He says, And is there not a world of meaning in the fact that it was very ordin- to very ordinary people busy about very ordinary tasks whose eyes first saw the glory of the coming of the Lord? It means first that the place of duty, however humble, is the place of vision. And it means second that It is the men who have kept to the deep, simple pieties of life and have not lost the child heart to whom the gates of the kingdom most readily open. I love that. Number two, in the midst of the mundane, the shepherds were entrusted. They were entrusted with the Messiah's location and his identity. With his location and his identity. The angel told him where where they would where he was. They said, "Today in the town of David, the city of David, Bethlehem. Today in that town, a Savior has been born to you." And he even went further on. He told him his identity. He said, "He is the Messiah." He is the Messiah. Apart from Mary, these guys were the very first ones. Shepherds, ordinary, routine shepherds were the first ones to be told that this little baby was the Messiah. How much more could be revealed to a person at that time? I don't know. But it gives me spiritual goosebumps to think about that. No matter how mundane we might think our lives are, The Lord has entrusted us with his word. And as long as we have our Bible, life can never be mundane according to heaven's standard definition of mundane because the Bible transcends what we would call mundane or routine. The Bible brings God right into our hearts. What was the big word to these guys? Messiah was here. Now there is a big chance that this group of shepherds was shepherding the temple flock from the tower of the flock. And and it was a place called Migdal Eder. There's a chance they were shepherding this flock. And if they were, they were raising the very sacrificial lambs that were representing that they were to be sacrificing until the Messiah came. And all of a sudden they hear, oh, this is Messiah. Now, I'm so pessimistic, I would have said, Man, does this mean I'm out of a job? No. But, so, this, they, they knew something of Messiah, if that's who they were. I'm not sure they were, but it's a neat thought. That's not mundane, to have an angel come and tell you where Messiah is, and that you could go see him. They've been waiting hundreds of years for Messiah to come, and now they hear he's come. Letter A Be attentive to God's message to you. Be attentive to God's message to you. Now, granted, an angel showed up, the Shekinah of glory of the Lord shone round about them, and more angels came. Uh, So I think being attentive wasn't a problem for them. But as I was thinking about this, I thought, We have the Bible. We have a Bible. We have five of them. We have 10 of them. We have 20 of them. I don't know how many Bibles I have. I have to have a lot of Bibles, though, because I'm purposing to write in enough Bibles all of my personal notes so that when I go to heaven, at least each of our... Kids' families can have one, and it'd be great to have one so that each of the 19 grandkids could have one. And so I use up a lot of Bibles, and I write a lot of notes in them. So I have a lot of Bibles. That We have a Bible. We have a more complete, glorious message than that angel could have ever dreamed of delivering in a few seconds. We have the most glorious message of all, the most complete revelation of God that there is until we see him face to face. So how do we respond to that message? Are we amazed by it? Or is the Bible just ho-hum to us? Are we in awe? Do we see the glory of God in it? You say, if an angel responded, if an angel showed up, I would respond to that glory. But my brothers and sisters... We have something more complete and more glorious than an angel, and if you don't respond to it, I don't think you would respond to an angel either. I'm convinced and convicted. As I was writing some of these notes, I was was convicted that I don't respond to the word of God as if there were an angel in the room telling me what to do. But it has more authority than an angel because it is God's word. And I'm convinced that I need to respond to it. Psalm 138, 2 says, For you have magnified your word above all your name. And the King James Version says, You have exalted your word even above your name. We think about the name of the Lord as being the highest of all, but he's exalted his word far above that, above his name. So, uh, in letter B, the glory of God will not show up in our lives If we are not in awestruck wonder over the message he has already given us. You know, we we think we want the extraordinary. We think we want the, the glimpses of glory from time to time. And God does give those to us from time to time. But if we're not awestruck with his word, I don't think he's going to give us those glimpses of glory. It's when we're awestruck with the word of God that the word himself comes and manifests himself to us. Letter C. If we treat the Bible casually, God's glory will be elusive. If we treat the Bible casually, God's glory will be elusive. God's faithful to show his glory to those who marvel at his word. It doesn't matter if you have your doctorate in theology or you're up to your armpits in baby diapers If you marvel at his word, God, God will want to manifest himself to you in ways that will surprise you. He's looking for the one who loves his word, not the one who has position or authority. Otherwise, he would have gone to the Pharisees, but he didn't. He went to the shepherds. And it's to that one, the one who loves his word, whom he will reveal his glory. D, if we exalt his word by honoring it and obeying it, his glory will manifest itself in our lives from time to time. By honoring it and obeying it, his glory will manifest itself in our lives from time to time. Sometimes you might feel like you're having no impact for the kingdom of God anywhere. But you will occasionally find out that you have greatly impacted someone's life for Jesus and you weren't even aware of it. You can impact others' lives for for Jesus in, in ways that you've known nothing about. Our greatest kingdom work usually takes place and happens when we're just living for Jesus and we're unaware of how it's affecting others, but we are living and focused on Jesus. And that affects others around us. It's like you're dropping off Jesus dust wherever you go. We have a cute little princess dog. If you were close enough, you would see white dog hairs on me. She drops dog hairs wherever she goes. But she's spreading loves and kisses wherever she goes. And, and it's just one of those amazing things. Well, we do that w- with Jesus. When we're Filled with his word. We're loving him with all our heart. We aren't concerned about all the things we do. We're concerned about who he is. And we live for him. We're dropping off. We're giving off a fragrance. That's showing Jesus to others. And sometimes we don't even know it. And someone will come back later. Years later. Testimony, and say something to you. Thank you for doing that. And you didn't know you did anything. That's when God gets the Glory. Number three, in the midst of the mundane, the shepherds were expected to act on what they knew. Verse 12 said, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I think they were expected to go look for that baby. He didn't say, go see him. He says, you'll find this. You will find him there. This is where he'll be. And one of the main things about thriving in the mundane things of life is that we take the little hints God gives us. And do the things you know that will bring us into contact with Jesus. Do you read your Bible every day? Do you pray regularly? Do you get together with God's people? Those are three of the most common places that God lets His glory shine. Number four, in the midst of the mundane, the shepherds were eager to see the baby. They were eager to see the baby. When when the angels had left... I'd like, I wish I knew how many minutes they were just sitting there quiet, awestruck before someone says, hey, let's go to Bethlehem and see. I wonder if there was like immediate, they're gone, let's go. Or if it was just this group of rough shepherds were just sitting there with their eyes wide open and like couldn't even talk for a while. And they said, let's go, let's go. They were eager to see the baby. They were eager to see that Messiah that was born. They were eager to see what the angels were talking about. Sometimes we're a little reluctant to move out of the familiar. It seemed like it would have been easier for them and more comfortable for them to stay at the sheepfold. I don't know if they left all the sheep alone or what. If they all went, we don't know those details. But they they went, and, but it seemed like you know it's dark. We we could go in the morning. No, it, it, it's cold. We need no the sheep need our attention, you know, and all kinds of excuses to not go. But they did. They went, and uh, I have found out. I've. I've Made a lot of journal entries and done a lot of different things over the years that I can track a little bit. And I found out about God when he breaks into my uh, routine. It's this. When he breaks into my routine, he's not really concerned about my comfort, he's not really concerned about how convenient it is for me when he breaks into my routine. Because it's not about my inconvenience. It's about his glory. It's about his glory. And uh, my tendency, uh, it's about his reputation. It's about his renown. He's not so concerned if I have to walk in the dark. He's concerned about his reputation. My tendency is to think, what will it cost me you know, when Mike or D calls and says, "Hey, could you preach?" You know, Wednesday night or Sunday, this next weekend, or whatever they ask. If they call and ask that, I have to stop for a minute. Uh, I think about, "Well, what will it cost me? What will I have to give up if I say yes to this? What do I have? Anything that I was wanting to do this weekend, but nothing written in concrete." What do I have to give up? That's my first thought. Shame on me. Shame on me. I, uh, the real question is, Am I, even if I have to agree to teach in an unfamiliar setting when I feel unqualified to do so, if I've been asked to do that, am I measuring it by comfort or convenience or am I measuring it by the fact that God has asked me to do that? because it's not about my convenience, it's about the glory of God. So my answer is, usually, unless I have something on the calendar like, you know, heart surgery or something like that, you know, unless there's something there that's unmovable, my first response is, yes, I can do that. I can do that. I will do that. And I will leave the comfort of the campfire And go see this baby you told me about. When God asks us to leave our comfort zone, our convenience, it's no different than when he was asking those shepherds to go. And the results might be as great or greater if you go when he asks you to do that. I'll go talk to this person that you brought to mind, Lord. I'll say yes to that thing you asked me to do. I'll write a note of encouragement to that person you bring to my mind. You might think I'm a little goofy, but I'll still do it. Letter A, follow up on God's message to you. Do what he says to do. In verses 11 and 12, uh, He told them, the angels told him what to look for. And I don't think they saw that as a suggestion. I, I think they saw that... Uh, They were told where he was, and they were expected to go attest to that. By the way, (laughs) have you ever seen a baby shower where it was just all men? Why is it that the only two groups that went to attest the birth of the baby were all groups of men? The shepherds and the magi. It wasn't the shepherds and the wise men. It was the shepherds and the magi. Both groups were wise men because they had followed what God wanted them to do. But here, you know this is a special baby because it's not a women's baby shower they're having. I've never seen a birth. When a baby's born in a hospital, who goes to see the baby? All the ladies. Partially us guys. As guys, we don't know what to say. Man, why is their face so red and wrinkly? Congratulations. You've got a sunburned baby. No. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's why they don't send guys. But it was men who went to attest the birth of Jesus. Letter B. It should not surprise us that God's glory never shows up when his people are living in disobedience. Never it shouldn't surprise us that God's glory never shows up when we are living in disobedience. In John 14, 21, it says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, obeys me, it, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And what? What? Manifest myself to him. If we obey him, if we love him, he will manifest himself to us. Number five. In the midst of the mundane, the shepherds explained the message of Messiah's birth to all who would listen. They explained the message of Messiah's birth to all who would listen. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, verse 18. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So number one, letter A, tell others about your encounter with the Son of God. Tell others about your encounter with the Son of God. As soon as the angels departed, the shepherds hurried to Bethlehem. They found Mary and Joseph and Jesus there. And they gave a complete report of the angels' visit to them, causing considerable surprise among them. Because it says, Mary marveled at what the shepherds said and treasured them in her heart, pondered them, thought about them in her heart. Do you you realize that... uh, Mary had already been told that she was burying the Messiah, and now she had confirmation from a group of shepherds that said, yeah, the angel told us, this is the Messiah. Can you imagine what that would have done for Mary and Joseph? Man, as you're laying there, and your baby's in a manger, and you're wondering, wow, this didn't work out quite like we thought. And then they come and say, yeah, this is Messiah. God sure showed his glory that night to Mary as well in her heart. You never know when God's going to use what you say to confirm something he has already said to others. The shepherds had no idea that their story was going to concern, confirm something to Mary the way it did. So don't be afraid to tell others about your encounter with God. What you've learned that morning in your Bible study. What God has said to you in a group of friends who you're meeting with. How, how God met with you in a special way. How, how God enveloped the service one Sunday and you could feel the palpable presence of God in this building. Don't be afraid to tell others about that. B. God loves to manifest His glory when you're talking about His Son. He loves to manifest His glory when you're talking about His Son. You know how it is when you hear someone mention one of your children? You give a lot of attention to what, listening to what they say, don't you? That was my hardest part as a pastor after church. And I'm going around greeting new people and talking to other people. And I would hear someone over here mention the name of one of my children. All of a sudden, I'm just a shell, a hollow shell looking at this person in front of me because every ounce of my energy is listening to that other group. What are you saying about my kid? That's not true. Oh, that could be. You know, I mean, it is, all of your attention is drawn that way. And I want to suggest to you that that's one of the quickest ways I know of to get God's attention. Jesus? Did I hear someone mention my son, Jesus? He's attentive to those times when you were telling others about Jesus. He's attentive to those times when you're talking about Jesus. On the road to Emmaus, the disciples were talking about Jesus and about the resurrection, talking about Jesus. He just showed up on the road with them. As a matter of fact, I think that he hears us, when God hears us mention his son to other people, he maybe even grabs a few angels and comes to see what needs to be done, to see what attention needs to be paid, what announcements can be done to aid the proclamation of Jesus. Number six, the shepherds went back to the mundane. They went back to being shepherds that night. But they were changed. Verse 20, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard, seen, and which were just as they had been told. Letter A, even after a glory-filled event, life returns to a settled reality or a hard spiritual battle. We can have these mountaintop experiences. We can have these glory-filled things happen in our lives I haven't had a bazillion of them happen but I've had enough happen in my life that I know what the glory of God is and I've I've experienced it and it's been a really a peak th- time in my life and but you walk away and things go right back to the routine except you've been changed from the inside and the routine isn't as routine as it used to be I love that Even the life of Jesus shows how that happens he Think about it. After the transfiguration, what happens? They went down the mountaintop. They went down the mountain. And the first thing they encountered down there was the ugly truth of demon possession and the weakness of man to deal with the situation. From the glory of the transfiguration to the weakness of man and the evil that the devil produces. Even the resurrection, the glory of that resurrection event, settles into a quiet breakfast by the lake. With his disciples. It goes back to what is the familiar. What, how did Jesus spend most of his time? With the, with the twelve. Teaching and eating and conversation with them. Now there's only eleven at this point, but he met with them. In the same way, it went back to the routine. Oswald Chambers, who, he says this, The tendency is to look for the marvelous in our experience. We mistake the sense of the heroic for being heroes. It is one thing to go through a crisis grandly, but another thing to go through every day glorifying God when there is no witness, no limelight, no one paying the remotest attention to us. I encourage you to be faithful in the routine. Letter B, be grateful and vocal about the glimpses of glory that are revealed to you. Be grateful and vocal about the glimpses of glory that are revealed to you. When when we're grateful and vocal about the little glimpses of glory we've had in our lives with Jesus, we prepare our hearts and we prepare the hearts of others around us for greater revelation of His glory in the days ahead. I personally believe that as we get closer and closer to the end times when Jesus returns, that we're gonna His people are gonna see more and more of His glory to sustain them. C. Gratefulness invites greater manifestations of His glory. Gratefulness invites greater manifestations of His glory. Do you thank God for the ways He reveals himself to you? If you're grateful for that, He will reveal himself more and more. So I want us to, as we close now, I want us to notice what made these shepherds noteworthy in this narrative. Number one, they heard about the Savior. They heard about the Savior from the angels. They came to the Savior in the manger. They heard about Him. They came to Him. Number three, they worshipped Him. They worshipped the Savior. And number four, they told others about the Savior. So isn't that the regular progression of our lives, our spiritual life? We hear about Jesus. We come to the Savior through belief in Him. We worship the one we come to. And then we tell others about him. And I find it so fitting that the first evangelists to spread the word of God about God's precious lamb are the shepherds. Once you see Emmanuel, God with us, wrapped in swaddling cloths as the one who came to die for you, you can't help but do what the shepherds did. You can't help but spread the news. Let me leave you with this. Life is only mundane by our own definition. Life is never mundane in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes. Life is only mundane by our own definition. If we're focused on the Savior, the mundane won't rule our life. If our life is defined by Jesus, our definition of mundane is way in the background someplace. And so don't let your definition of mundane rule your life. Let your definition of Jesus rule your life. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. Your word is so magnificent. Your son is so great. Thank you for the story. A story beyond imagination. The greatest story ever told. Who could believe it? Well, we can, Lord. We believe you. So thank you. And uh, we praise you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.